Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about the idea that black on black crime isn't just a myth, it's actually a malicious lie spread by white supremacists. Then in the UK, a new set of government policies aims to combat the obesity epidemic, but at least some obese people say that these policies do nothing except guilt fat people into feeling bad about themselves. Yikes. So our first segment comes to us from none other than my favorite, Teen Vogue. And this article I thought was interesting and I wanted to go through it together because I think it encapsulates a lot of the arguments we see all the time from the progressive left. For background, this article does come to us at a time when for the past few months now, there's been this whole conversation around BLM and specifically police brutality against black Americans. And in response to that whole narrative, a lot of people mostly on the right, if we're being honest, do like to bring up the fact that, hang on, if black lives do matter, which of course they do, then why don't we spend more time talking about black on black crime? Because of course, statistics show us that way more lives are lost to black on black crime than are lost to anything having to do with the police. So if you ask me, Talking about black-on-black -black crime, it's, it's not a negation of Black Lives Matter. It's actually an affirmation that Black lives do matter and, and a wondering why we don't spend more time talking about those Black lives that maybe aren't as politically convenient to some people. But this article starts off by saying, Black Lives Matter is an affirmation in a world that has made it abundantly clear that to many, Black lives don't matter. The movement represents a generation of Black people who are taking the metaphoric baton from ancestors who were enslaved, tortured, and killed for merely existing in the bodies in which they were born. I don't know about you folks, but I am so tired at this point of this incessant need to focus on certain past grievances to the exclusion of others. Yes, of course, slavery was terrible. A lot of the practices that even happened after slavery to black people were terrible. But have you ever noticed that we spend so much time talking about these wrongs that happened historically, but not a lot of time talking about things that happened, for example, to Asian Americans, right? There was a lot of discrimination against Asian Americans in the United States specifically, and quite recently, too, if we talk about the whole internment camp thing. To Native Americans as well, that gets some attention, not as much as, as towards Black people, but even, I mean, Irish and Italians were discriminated against. History is full of wrongs against many groups, and I, I've just noticed that progressives, they only focus, they like to cherry pick on certain wrongs in order to help them argue for policies today. It's just, it's very politically motivated. I, I don't feel sympathy for these people who try to use wrongs that didn't happen to them in order to paint themselves as victims. I just, I just don't at this point. This writer continues, the Mapping Police Violence Project has found that black people are currently more than three times as likely as white people to be killed by law enforcement. I will reiterate, any loss of life for whatever reason, it's all, it's all terrible. I would love to live in a world where none of this stuff happened. Unfortunately, that's just not realistic. What these people never or almost never mention when they talk about the fact that more black people are killed by police than white people is the fact that, and this is just what the data tells us, black people do proportionately commit more crimes than white people per year and are therefore more likely to interact with police than white people. That's an uncomfortable statistic, but I mean, frankly, it's just true. And I don't know how we can continue this conversation around policing 
without talking about these stats. It's just not realistic, in my opinion. Before we go any further though, because there is just so much to dissect from that article, I do want to take a minute to thank our amazing sponsor, Scoremaster, and I want to help you guys raise your credit a little bit. So Scoremaster was created by credit data scientists, and the average Scoremaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. Not a couple points, 61 points. That is huge. One listener raised her credit score 102 points in just 11 days, and another raised his credit score 53 points in 17 days. Scoremaster is the new science that super boosts your credit score faster and easier than anything you've tried. Forget just this generic advice that you find on the internet. Scoremaster actually gives you actionable things you can do to significantly raise your credit. It is amazing. This is how you add points to your credit score and fast too. Having your best credit score helps every area in life, getting a home loan, buying a car, refinancing, even getting a job. So you should have the power, not the banks. And Scoremaster puts you in control. Enroll in minutes and see how many points you can add to your credit score. You'll be shocked how fast you can do it. So visit scoremaster.com slash Lauren. Again, that is scoremaster.com slash Lauren so they know that our show is the one that sent you. All right, so let's continue with this headache of an article. It says, in response to this rallying cry for respect and justice, some have tried to discredit the movement, simultaneously placing blame on black victims with a phrase that has been used by white supremacists for years black on black crime. All right, so I mean, I'm sure some white supremacists out there do talk a lot about black on black crime, but black on black crime just as a generic issue is is not solely used by white supremacists, right? There are people who talk about criminal justice and just stats in general that do mention black on black crime because black on black crime, believe it or not, is a significant portion of all violent crime that happens in the United States. And actually there is this kind of viral graph that's been going around on social media that shows the murder of blacks and whites in the US. This is circa 2013, so it's not the most recent data. It has on the graph, the number of black people killed by white people, pretty small number. And this is per 1 million members of the murderer's race. It's 0.77 and it shows that apparently this is what Black Lives Matter is protesting. And then next to it on the far right side of the graph, there is a much bigger, much scarier looking bar, 53.94, which is the number of black people killed by other black people. I don't have a problem with focusing on people who are killed by the police, whether that's wrongful or not. I think that's an important conversation to have. I think any loss of life merits at least a conversation, but I do think it's interesting. The amount of attention that white on black crime gets considering as this graph shows and even the more recent statistics show, it's just not a huge slice of the conversation when we look at the actual statistics. So it, it, this is just, it's disproportionate. I think what a lot of people are trying to say, the amount of fur that happens every time a white person kills a black person, but there's pretty much silence when black people kill other black people, even though it happens so much more often according to the numbers. That's not white supremacy, that's just, critical thinking, if you ask me. Let's continue though. It says, a report released by the US Department of Justice in 2017 found that of all the violent crimes committed between 2012 and 2015, 22.7% were committed by black people and 63% of those were committed against other black people. This in comparison to 44% of all violent crimes committed by white people, 57% of which were committed against other white people. So she says, according to this data, white people commit crimes against other white people at about the same rate that black people do against other black people. But despite these numbers, people aren't discussing the hashtag or 
quote, white on white crime problem. So this is kind of disingenuous for several reasons. And I'm not sure if she just doesn't understand how to read statistics or if she's actually trying to mislead people here. Could be either way, because on the one hand, this is Teen Vogue, not known for their honest journalism. But on the other hand, uh, you know, math classes in the American school system are, are pretty garbage. So it could be either way. But Note here how she likes to focus on all violent crime, right? So usually when we talk about Black Lives Matter or Black on Black crime, we're talking about homicides specifically. But when using these these numbers, she kind of pivots that to, no, we're just talking about all violent crime, which includes things like assault and robbery. Take note of that. And also, she says here that 22.7% of violent crimes were committed by Black people. Black people, I think, make up around 13% of the U.S. population, maybe up to 15%. Regardless of how you look at it, that is still being overrepresented in crime statistics, right? But I mean, aside from that, her point here is that, so Black-on-Black crime happens when Black people commit crimes about as often as white-on-white crime happens when white people commit crimes, right? And it is true that across all races, people generally commit crimes against people of the same race. And I think a lot of that has to do with socioeconomic factors, just the fact that in the U.S., a lot of neighborhoods are racially segregated. Unfortunately, it's just a reality. So if you're kind of having crimes happening in your neighborhood, your city, your state, whatever, you are just more likely to be around people of your own race, right? So she's saying everyone commits crimes more more likely against people of their own race. It's not something that just black people do. In response to that, I have this lovely graph from the FBI. And by the way, the FBI website is trash. Like they need to get a, a new webmaster or something because it looks like garbage. But here we have murders, right? And specifically murders, right? Because again, she's talking about all violent crime. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, we usually talk about murder. So why she's bringing things like assault and robbery, I'm not sure. But here we can see this is from 2018. If we look at the race of murder offenders, 4,884 offenders were white, 312 were other, some other racial group, Black or African-American, 6,318. So of the murderers that we have caught, and I've assumed like that have gone to trial and things, most of them are African-American, right? So we're talking about 13% of the population responsible for over half from what we know of the murders that are happening, right? That is a disproportionate amount. Um, so she's trying to make it sound like you know, white people, black people, we commit crimes at the same rate. That's just, that's not true. So when people talk about what about black on black crimes, they are trying to bring up the majority of crimes that happen. And what is tragic and what I think should, you know, really affect BLM supporters if they do think that black lives matter is just noting that most of these victims are themselves black. So there's this huge loss of life that's happening in the black community. And we just, we don't talk about it a lot. And it's really strange. I, I remember even um, there was this one weekend in Chicago where there were black children who were killed in shootings and they didn't get almost any press attention, right? We were all still focusing on things like George Floyd, but it's like, were their lives less important than George Floyd's because it didn't happen to fit the narrative of police bad? I don't think so, right? I genuinely believe that no, all lives matter, all black lives matter. So spending this amount of time on these select few, and again, I'm not even saying that we shouldn't talk about it, but ignoring these other cases because it makes you uncomfortable or because you don't want to talk about it or because all of them mostly happen in Democrat controlled cities. Like 
that's not a good enough excuse. That's not an excuse to ignore the crime that is happening in these communities. Is not enough of an excuse to ignore the fact that children are being murdered in the streets. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes you. We need to talk about this. This next part is something that I do agree with the writer with, which is surprising, but she says, additionally, poor black people and poor white people were found to commit violent crimes at similar rates, 46.4% for white people and 43.4% for black people. With the clear connection between poverty and crime rates and the fact that the poverty rate for black Americans is more than twice the poverty rate for white Americans, it's obvious that anyone who truly cares about lowering the crime rate in the US would spend their time and resources working to eradicate poverty. I completely agree with basically everything said in that paragraph. I, I do like, and that's just a fact that there is a link between violent crime and poverty. And in so many different black communities, that is one of the factors that you see influencing violent crime. So there's more stuff uh, at work here than just race. But what's interesting is that despite the fact that we know eradicating poverty reduces violent crime, we see that even when Donald Trump manages to accomplish the lowest black unemployment rate, I mean, almost on record and achieves record high black entrepreneurship, i.e. actually helping black people to succeed, helping black people uh, to live in an environment where they can kind of pursue whatever career ambitions they want, he still gets slammed as a white supremacist. So like, I, I don't know what to do here because it kind of seems like when we do actually introduce policies that help the poverty rate be lowered, people still say you're a racist. Like, what's the solution here? I don't even know anymore. But she then writes, we also know about the violence within our communities. If people who invoke the phrase black on black crime in response to the BLM movement paid any attention to black people and their communities, they'd know black people care about that too and talk about it a lot. It doesn't seem like it. Honestly, it really doesn't seem like a lot of attention at all, either locally or nationally, is being spent combating black on black crime, i.e. just the majority of crime that happens in these inner cities, which is terrible. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these are Democrat-controlled cities. If we look at places like Chicago, uh, like Detroit, uh, like Baltimore, we don't talk about it because, I mean, the people who are in charge are friendly with the media, frankly, which is a disgusting betrayal of the citizens who live there, in my opinion. And it just, it really does seem like if we cared about these lives being lost as much as we did about George Floyd's life being lost, we would spend more time talking about it. We would be spending more time trying to toss around solutions, right? I mean, we have a global movement right now happening with the whole anti-police thing. I mean, every major brand is hopping on board the BLM train. Where, where, where was this amount of outrage when that little boy in Chicago was shot? Honestly, where I saw a video on Twitter the other day of a mother holding her child being shot. She was shot and killed just in the streets. Like, where is the outrage for that? It just, it doesn't exist. So to say that, oh no, we like we care as much about that. No, you don't. I'm sorry, no, you don't. Or if you do, your actions certainly don't show it. Finally, she finishes off by saying, crime within black communities is comparable to crime within white communities, but white people aren't being killed by police at the alarming rate that black people are. That's just a bold-faced lie, right? Crime in black communities is not comparable to crime within white communities. I mean, the numbers show that, especially when we look at something like homicide, they're completely different. Lying about this isn't going to help black communities. I know, like I've said before, it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but if we don't talk about it, then things aren't going to get better. 
All right, so our next segment brings us to a discussion about obesity and what the government can or cannot and should or should not be doing to lower obesity rates. So like I said in the intro, there is a new set of policies that have been introduced by the UK government aiming at lowering obesity rates, which are climbing steadily in the UK. I was actually surprised to hear how high they've gotten. This person and actually a few others that were interviewed by The Independent are saying that these new policies, mm -mm, not gonna help things. Is that accurate though? Or are they just upset that uh, they might be inclined a little bit more to look at what they're eating. Let's read this together. So this article says, Harriet, 56 from central Scotland, has been overweight ever since she was a child. In the 1970s, buying a school uniform that fitted her body required getting entirely different clothes from the other students. Harriet's parents took her to see a dietitian, but she says it was a, quote, waste of time as the problem wasn't that she didn't understand the principles of healthy eating, eating less, or exercising more. Those she was already desperately familiar with, lessons she she describes as ingrained. People assume you're stupid, she tells the independent. All right, so she's saying like, no, it's not that I needed more info about what foods were healthy or that exercise was good. I already knew that. That kind of leads to the question though, so why aren't you doing those things, right? If you know that eating healthy is what you should be doing and you know that exercise is good for you, why aren't you doing that? I would think that it's actually the more flattering thing to assume that, oh, you probably just aren't familiar with nutrition and healthy exercise and stuff. The other answer is either that you're just, you're too lazy to do it, which is definitely possible. And I've, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'm not looking down on her. I definitely relate. Or there is a, you know, actual medical issue that you're going through that prevents you from losing weight, which does exist, but is a lot rarer than I think a body positivity activist would have you believe. And the third thing is that um, there's maybe some sort of psychological crutch you have toward food. You're using it as a coping mechanism. Based on how common obesity is, I'm pretty sure the whole laziness, just like the taste of chips thing, is, is what most people are dealing with. And again, this isn't to shame anybody because I relate to it, but also there's this narrative that we see being pushed more and more to act as if, oh no, there's nothing we can do about ob obesity. It's just everyone needs to see like psychiatrists to maybe help them with their issues or specialized doctors. Otherwise you just can't, can't cope with it. When we look at how high obesity rates are in developed countries, specifically like, you know, U.S. and the U.K. compared to developing countries, it kind of seems like a lot of the problem could be solved with you just eating less. Like, we don't need all of these expensive, just eat less, right? It works for, like, almost every other country. Why can't it work for us? We're too sensitive. All right. Let's keep going though. She says, as an adult, doctors have told her she is classified as obese. It's funny when the doctor says you are morbidly obese, no shiz, Sherlock. I am more aware of my size and the effects on my daily life than they are, Harriet says. For her, weight loss is a lifelong issue. Like Harriet, almost two thirds, 63% of adults in England are classified as being overweight or obese. That is shocking. That is an epidemic. And one in three children leave primary school overweight or obese. That is so, so, so sad. Obesity-related illnesses cost the NHS approximately six billion a year, according to the Department of health and social care. The whole concept of government medicine and things like that, I think it really makes the obesity problem a cultural issue that you need to talk about because it's not as if these are just choices individuals are making for themselves. Like this article says, this is costing 
everybody money. This is costing taxpayers money. This is a drain on your healthcare system, right? You can't really act as if it's it's none of anyone else's business when other people are being literally forced to pay for it or maybe uh, being forced to miss out on care that people with obesity problems are taking up, right? This this affects everybody. This article continues on 27th of July. The government published details of a new Better Health campaign to target obesity. It will include measures like banning unhealthy food adverts before 9 p.m. and ending buy one, get one free deals on foods high in fat, salt, or sugar, labeling restaurant menus with calories, and labeling alcoholic drinks with hidden liquid calories. So there's two questions here that I've been thinking of. Number one, is it effective for government to implement these types of policies? Will this actually help people lose weight? And the second is, is it even the government's place in general to try and strong arm restaurants or food manufacturers to change their packaging in order to meet this goal? Whether it's the government's place or not, honestly, I don't think it is. I, I, I have a very small government view of what the state should be responsible for and trying to look after what people are eating just doesn't, it's not included in that. But again, since the UK has already decided to go down the big government route with their NHS, maybe this is something that the government should be concerned about because it's costing them money. So that, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but it really does go to show like when you involve government in one aspect of your life, it's hard to justify sometimes saying, no, no, you can't talk about this other aspect because now it actually concerns them. But whether this is gonna be effective or not, I mean, banning the food advertisements before 9 p.m. I guess they're saying that they don't want children seeing these things. I think that's kind of ridiculous because at the end of the day, the parent should be the one in the situation with the buying power. So whether kids see that or not, it should be up to you as a parent to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not buying that. You've had enough sugar for the day. So that I don't think would be useful. Buy one, get one free deals on foods high in fat, salt, or sugar. Again, that is, I don't think that's going to work. I mean, No. Labeling restaurant menus with calories and labeling alcoholic drinks with hidden liquid calories. I think, if anything, that might at least make people a little bit more aware of what they're eating. Where I am from, where I live, that is not a requirement, but I know sometimes when I travel, I do see they have the calories listed next to the menus, and honestly, sometimes I am surprised, and it does make me stop and think, well, hang on, this one piece of cake is like 1,500 calories, Maybe I maybe I should refrain. So personally, I know for me that does kind of make me pause sometimes. I, I would be interested to see some studies saying what the overall results are. Continues though, Harriet says she thinks the strategy shows ignorance on the part of the government. It does not address the root cause of obesity and shows the total lack of understanding. She describes obesity in the same terms as eating disorders like anorexia. If I was anorexic, people would feel sorry for me. If I was pulling my hair out because of an obsession or was self-harming in other ways, people wouldn't just say, stop doing it. It seems acceptable still to jeer at fat people. Okay, so definitely for some people, a small group of people, the whole obsession with eating is... I would say a mental illness, and I think it can be best solved with some therapy in addition to, you know, nutritionists and a workout regimen. So that that is legitimate to a point for some people. But for the vast majority of people who are overweight, and we're talking two thirds of the population, it, it really is just a lifestyle they need to change. And I speak from experience. I've never been obese uh, or I think overweight just because I have a smaller frame, but within my own like 
realm of my weight fluctuation. I have been heavier and I have been lighter. And I know at the times that I am heavier, it is just something I've had to muster up the self-control and the will strength to get over. Say, no, put down the cookie cookie dough, force yourself to go out and exercise. Like I'm sympathetic to a point, but it really does seem like people like Harriet just want to feel sorry for themselves instead of actually having, you know, constructive criticism to help them. But it means they might actually need to change their lifestyle. She says, in this way, obesity is a cycle that cannot be broken as if it is a lifestyle choice simply by adding calories to a menu or not showing TV adverts. Okay, but it is, it is literally a lifestyle choice. Like you could literally just make the choice to eat healthier things and having those calories there might help you make the choice if you are unaware of how fattening certain foods are. Like, there, there have been people who have completely made the switch and lost a ton of weight. They've succeeded fine. We have another person that was interviewed here. Will, 39 from Manchester, weighs 17 stone. I'm Canadian, so I don't know what that is. And is also technically classified by his doctor as obese, despite being healthier than many of his friends. He is a distance runner, drinks moderately, and is a vegetarian. Look, if you're obese, 17 stone, whatever that is, I'm sorry, you're not healthy. Like, you're, you're not, that is unhealthy. It's great that you only drink moderately, but don't be patting yourself on the back for anything. He says, the way the Tories treat everything is as libertarianism in a vacuum. The assumption that everyone's lifestyle is, a fix, is fixable by making easy choices. This initiative seems to be part of a general move towards blaming individuals for collective failures, and this particular attempt seems more ham-fisted than most. It's not a collective failure why you personally are overweight. I mean, I guess you could blame all those junk food companies for being just so delicious you can't say no but no this is something you personally need to combat and i don't know what a collective push to end obesity would look like aside from what this government is doing like do you want someone to come to your house specifically and cook you meals that are healthy and low in calories and feed you and monitor you so you don't eat any other like because that's what it would need to look like for it to be a collective thing like this ultimately is something and i know it's hard to hear that you need to deal with yourself. This other person says, it would also be beneficial to address social issues that contribute to obesity, not just trying to get people to eat less. Unless someone is shown how to do this and fit it into a busy lifestyle, this is a useless response. She says, additionally, social considerations such as the increase in food banks and deprivation cannot be ignored. This, this is something that, I mean, I understand what people are saying. Like if you are impoverished, you are more likely to be overweight, but I, I would say that deprivation overall is just not a main concern in the UK where two thirds of people are overweight. And actually people have also brought up anorexics or former re recovering anorexics as a reason why this calorie counting might be harmful to people. But again, if you're looking at a population where two thirds are obese, I, I feel bad for people who are recovering from that type of eating disorder, but the much bigger eating disorder is overeating Let's focus more on that. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say for now, though. And as always, I would love to know what you all think about this. Do you think the government has any place trying to lower the rates of obesity? And if so, do you think this is an effective way to do that? Let me know. But that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.